0: This is Company. I'm Sky Manson. Company is a podcast produced in rural Australia, bringing together ambitious women from the bush, the cities, and all over the world. Hold on to your socks because I think today's guest is really going to blow your mind. Shaney Nottingham is a creative and artist. A graphic designer, a teacher, and a sustainability advocate living in Cara in central west New South Wales. If you've been following me for a while, some of you may have heard me mention the Bread Tag Project, which is the creation of Shaney. And what she is achieving and what she hopes to achieve with this project is admirable, natural, thought provoking. It is just everything, and it is so interesting to me. This conversation is long and rambly, and totally coming from a creative mind. So, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did.
1: All right. Okay. So, my name is Shaney Nottingham. Um, I live in Cowra, which is in, of course, central Western New South Wales. I'm originally a Newcastle girl, though. I'm Newcastle born and bred. But we've been out here about 20, 25 years, something like that. We're only supposed to be here five years and suddenly 25 years later, here we are. Um, I work from home. I have two studios in my house, one room that is kind of like a a holding room for all the bread tags and my artworks. And then I have another room, which is a beautiful light-filled studio where I do my work. And... um, Yeah, it's really beautiful. I'm very, very lucky. And I live here with, I should say, with my husband and my, I have three children, but one's at uni and the other two are still here. One's on a gap year and the other one is a 14-year-old, year year nine child, (laughs) Uh, as well as four cats, two dogs, two striped marsh frogs, a green tree frog and some goldfish. I know
0: you've just explained this, but... Tell me about where you are sitting right now because I can see in the background what looks like chaos. a big studio. Oh, no, just creative loveliness.
1: Yes. Oh, that's a nice way to put it. Yes, one of my favorite sayings is better creative mess than tidy idleness because, you know, I'm procrastinating if I have a very tidy house or a very tidy room, it means I'm putting off doing something. I um, have an exhibition coming up at the Japanese Gardens on the 1st of July um, and a big installation due to be picked up from Bathurst on the 30th of June. So I'm in full creation mode at the moment, barely sleeping, not talking to my family. And what you see behind me is lots of stuff that's going on at the moment. So it's um, a large room that was supposed to be our good living area and half of it is but slowly I took over the rest of it. We live in a hundred something year old, beautiful cottage house. But then about six years ago, we had a big modern extension put on the back and that's like um, colour bond and big windows and things. We've been to New Zealand and we're really inspired by the houses we saw in New Zealand. So we've got this on the back of the house and it's got beautiful light. And I I sit looking at my desk and I look out over my garden. So it's very inspiring and, it's a great place to work. Um, it's become my bolt hole. It's where I run away to from my family.
0: <laughs> but you don't really run far, do you? Just from
1: No, I only have to go down the steps. steps. <laughs> About five steps. But, you know, I've had an ACL reconstruction, so it's still a bit of an effort <laughs> getting up and down those steps sometimes. I have to say my creativity, my, my stuff, it kind of does spill out into other areas of the house. But they know i pull it back so after i have an exhibition or something i do do a big tidy up a big cleanup where i just sort of clear the decks and throw things away and get it ready for the next thing um and that's you know re- that's a really important part of the process what
0: is this latest exhibition on and about
1: good question <laughs> I'm probably coming up with the name of it now. It's terrible. I've been, I turned 50 recently and I've been having a big celebration, the Festival of 50. So we were away for like six weekends in a row. So I'm very far behind where I would normally be at for an exhibition. So it's kind of, um, I'm kind of in panic mode, to be honest. I think I'm going to call it Inside Voice, please, or Inside Voice because... One of the things I do when I'm not doing art is I teach for a couple of, maybe I have a, an official job for one day a week um, at small schools. When I say small, I mean like five students, seven students, 14 students, like for the whole school. So one of the things that we, we say as a teacher is, you know, inside voices, please, you know. It also, of course, refers to that everyone has their inside voice, as in inside their head, um, those voices that, that you hear inside. And so I know for me, like I live in my head. Like I'm a tourist in my own head I travel around there it's a crazy place to be and I never know what I'm going to find in there and so I have a lot of inside voices Um, so this exhibition is um, a lot of collage work a lot of mixed media work um, based on um, some photos I took when I went I was very lucky I got an artist residency at um, the Corridor Project out near Wayangla Dam. I had a lot of time just to sit and contemplate the universe. And right in front of where you sit and contemplate the universe was this amazing cook's shed, which is uh, just a little corrugated iron tin shed. And it's that completely simple, basic shape that you draw as a kid that looks like a house. And I was fascinated with the way the light changed on the tin during the day. I sat there long enough from 3am in the morning all the way through and watched it change during storms and sun and morning and noon and dusk and things. And it was just, it was really beautiful and really peaceful. And I love the simplicity of the shape and how it echoed back to all those childhood ideas of what a home is. So I took a whole pile of photographs, not knowing what I would do with them, but knowing I'd do something. And I've been working from those and um, for this exhibition. And, um, and then from that, I went off to do some more collage. I find collage a really good way of um, blocking. If I've got a bit of an artistic block, it's a good, fast way of unblocking and getting back into that creative flow. As well as that, I do my main work is actually watercolour. I do watercolour illustration, so combining the collage and the watercolour and I just need to sit with the watercolour and just paint. That's very very meditative and very calming and very mindful. And I get hyper-focused and just lose myself in the beautiful colours as they blend and bleed. And I love playing, putting, you know, what colours next to each other and what that ha- what happens when you put different colours next to each other. Um, and I do that for my own sort of meditative, creative process. And so that's when the voices in my head kind of uh, are more still and more gentle kind of thing. So, so the exhibition will be a mixture of kind of all that kind of stuff. Um, um, I always go into an exhibition thinking I'll have a really big theme and I'll do something really deep and meaningful and very cohesive. And then inevitably it ends up being much more random and <laughs> things thrown in um, because you never quite know what you're going to do ever. But that's the creative process. It's, it's a play. How many exhibitions have you
0: done, Jenny?
1: Um, Well, I've been exhibiting up at the Japanese Gardens every year for about probably about seven years. Um, I make myself do that every year so that I have at least one exhibition that I work to to focus my attention on things, and that's been a mixture of photography exhibitions, watercolour exhibitions, uh, because my other my art business repair studio is illustration based, like um doing logos and product images and stuff for people. So I, I have a background in um, a visual arts degree majoring in photography and plant and wildlife illustration. so yeah, so that's kind of more illustration based. so I have done illustration stuff, but um, so I have up there every year and then I also do, Um, I used to put in a lot of work for the corner store gallery. I've had exhibitions there um, and in curated exhibitions. I've had loads. Like I I have a visual arts degree, as I say. So I used to exhibit when I was younger and then um, we saved up, after uni finished, we saved up to go travelling and we went to Europe and lived over in Europe and Asia for a couple of years. And then when we came back, Jason got the posting out here to Grenfell which is how we found ourselves out here. And I was just sort of starting getting back into exhibiting and putting things back into exhibitions out here when we um, began breeding. <laughs> and then <laughs> that, that kind of, you know, that kind of took up a lot of time. I also was ridiculous and thought, wouldn't it be great to do a, a, another second degree by distance education at the same time that I had my first baby? living somewhere where I had no family support or anything. So um, that happened as well. So I began breeding and educating again at the same time. So just because you do need to sleep occasionally, I stopped exhibiting for a while because I just didn't have the energy (laughs) to do anything except drag myself out of bed. Um, So I took a hiatus there for a while, but then um, when about 10 years ago, Um, I had a big, um, like a bullying thing happen and I took time off work. My doctor said, you know, you need to take time off work completely. Um, And during that time, you know, the doctor said to me, "Um, what do you think you'll need to be happy? And I was like, I need to make art again. I need to get back into it again. And he turned to my husband and said, so what what would you like for Shaney? And he said, I just want my wife to be happy again. Happy wife, happy life. And the doctor said, Well, Jason, she's never going to be happy just being a teacher. She needs to, she needs to create. That's who she is. That's that's what's in her heart. And so poor old Jason, <laughs> thinking that I'd just be a normal person and have a teaching degree and teach and just paint as a hobby artist on the weekends, maybe. He realised that wasn't going to happen and he went, Yep, okay, sure, fine. If that's what needs to happen, we can be a bit poorer, we can, you know, live like this and she can be happier and, yep, it's all good. So um, the pressure to teach full time dropped away and I made a deal that I'd go back to teaching one or two days a week and the rest of the time I'd create. The reason
0: I I'm so desperate to speak with you, Shaney, and we've been trying to line up this time to chat. It's been epic—like months, almost years. tell me about the bread tag project and where it came from.
1: <laughs> oh, the crazy bread tag lady. Okay. <laughs> um. Yep. Yeah, so I see one of the, one of the things that people ask me is, you know, how did this start? how why 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 indeed was there a big hole in my life that I needed to fill with bread tags but at the time I had a teenage son who you know devoured loaves of bread by the ton and as teenagers I want to do he used to leave the bread tags all over the bloody bench tops and drive me nuts so I'd just pick them up and put them in like a little container that was there and then one day I looked at the colours I love colour that's the thing that ticks my boxes and, and makes my heart go fizzy. And so I saw the colours and thought, wow, these are actually pretty. I wonder what I could do with these. And then Instagram was only kind of new at the time. This is back in the days when it was just random shit that you'd put up on there and it was just like, you know, I can post six times a day of things that are pretty, whoa. And so I was like, hey, I could take some photographs and put them up on Instagram. I could have a play with these. So I made some little simple images out of bread tags and put them up on Instagram. And the response from people was really lovely. And at the time my art business, I was doing some um, business courses. And I remember I was standing in the shower thinking, what makes me different? What makes me different? And I know my husband would have <laughs> answered with the whole pile of questions, uh, answers to that one. But, um, Um, I was thinking the bread tags I've never seen anyone do bread tags before maybe I could do more stuff with bread tags so I thought okay before you get too excited about this idea girl have a look on Pinterest google it and see what else is out there so I did and there was nothing else out there and I thought well that's interesting no one seems else to be playing with bread tags so then the student in me took over so I started researching bread tags and what colors and why they are the colors they are and what they represent and and the more i learned about them actually my alarm bells started to to go off and and i was reading about how they can't be e- easily recycled and how bad they are for the environment and i thought oh my god i had no idea this is pre war on waste you know pre when everybody became aware of all that kind of stuff and was big much more mainstream, um, and it really shocked me. And I thought, wow, if we can produce that many bread tags in our little kitchen with only five people, imagine how many of these there are all around the world. That's actually really shocking. And I thought, you know, maybe I could use the art to, to tell people about, about that. Maybe I can do something educational as well as aesthetically pleasing and I think that's, a, that's the teacher in me, I think, the, that education part of me that exists. Anyway, so I started making things with bread tags, but I realised I was going to need a lot more bread tags. So I put out a call on social media and, and I set up a Facebook page. I had no idea what it was going to involve, but I just said, right, I've got to do this, make myself accountable. Um, and ask asked people to start sending me bread tags Um, so at first the response was reasonably slow and people would just look at me like I was insane. And the response was pretty, um, troubled, like, do you need help? (laughs) What's going on? Why are you playing with bread tags? Um, but then war on waste happened and everything kind of changed. Everything kind of, um, coalesced and people went, Oh, 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 I get it. Plastics are bad. Plastics, not a great thing. And suddenly I started getting more traction and I started getting more bread tags and it became a thing where I was getting them every day in the post. And when did you start it?
0: What, what year was um, that?
1: That was late 2017, early 2018, 2018, I should say. Um, so I had, I did go back through my feed and I found that I've been playing with making images from about 2014 so I've kind of had the bread tags hanging around for a while but it started to become serious probably about early 2018. So at this point
0: now um, I feel like well how would you describe it are you gaining traction and tell me a little bit about how many bread tags you are receiving in the mail Um, and where they come from.
1: So It's become an entirely different beast than what I anticipated, a much bigger beast, which is fantastic. And, yes, it has gained lots of traction. Um, And that's been awesome. So I get loads of bread tags now sent to me from all over the place. So I get um, sometimes I get an envelope with, like, five bread tags and people saying, I'm sorry, I bake my own bread. This is all I have. Um, Other times I get... There's a a lady called Sharon Shuttleworth who's in Coffs Harbour at the TAFE there, and I get bags and bags of bread tags from her every couple of weeks, um, which is phenomenal. Um, I get people who are driving through Cowra on their way to somewhere else, and they'll have, you know, those big Asian black and not black, uh, red and blue and white bags, striped bags? I found, like, two bags of those just outside my door. So many. Oh my God, it's so many! It's unbelievable. Um, there's a guy who's a farmer at Orange, and during the drought, he was feeding his cows um, stale bread um, that the I think he, he must have got from the, from bakeries, and so he had whole tons of. Of of bread tags from that and tons he, he, yeah he, he must have kept well tons when I say tons bags and bags and bags of them he must have kept them in the in the chook shed because they're all covered in chook poo so I actually ended up washing them in the bath and giving them all a bubble bath <laughs> and cleaning them and then laying them out on the deck to sunbake and dry and I remember thinking oh my god my world's gone insane I'm mental but um, you know, he wrote a note saying he'd heard me on the radio and thought what I was doing was great. And this is a farmer, you know, single-use plastics. You know, this old dude, and he was like, "Yeah, I'll be into that." So he saved all these tags for me, and and then when they were driving through, dropped them all off.
0: Just taking a tiny breather from Shaney's story to say a big thank you to Lidner Quality Socks for coming on board as this season's podcast sponsor. If you haven't worn any Lidner quality socks already, you have got to try them this winter. Your toasty warm feet will completely thank you. Lidna quality socks are expertly crafted in crook wool by 10th generation sock maker, Andrew Lidner and individually hand finished. So you can be assured that every sock is an investment in absolute quality. To shop the range, visit lidnasocks.com.au. What do you do when you receive these tags? What do you do with them? Put them aside until you know what you want to create with them or do you sort
1: them Um, Well, at the moment I haven't been doing a lot of stuff with them because I'm concentrating on the exhibition. But normally what I do is I I have like an in, uh, uh, well, it's usually a washing basket actually. I have um, a washing basket and any deliveries um, get thrown into that And when I have um, the day I separate, I I open them all up. I take photographs of every single delivery that I get. I have a a book that I write down every single person who's ever donated um, any bread tags. So I have a whole catalogue of people's addresses and, and stuff. So there's a whole process that happens. So I open them, record them, photograph them, take note of who they are. And I'll put those up on social media. So I'm always creating content for social media um, and share that other people are doing that. Then after I've opened them and done all of that, I sort them into color and sort them into um, their different types. I classify them according to their morphology and their taxonomy because taxonomy, because there's actually thousands and thousands of different types of bread tags. They're all really different from each other which is one of the other aspects that I'm doing another. So within the umbrella term of the BRITTAG project, there's actually about seven things I'm doing um, that are all very discrete, separate projects, but they're all part of the, they all work together, if if you like. Um, Can you run me through what they are quickly? Uh, okay, just so, the headlines. Okay, the headlines is there's the Doomsday Project, which is the, the one where they're all classified like a science um, installation, science and art. So that's based on the idea of, I don't know if you've heard of the seed bank that's in, I think it's in Iceland, Norway, um, one of those frozen places. And it's where they've collected all the seeds from all the plants around the world to keep them safe in case there's a doomsday. I have had that idea in my head for a long time, I thought that was really cool. So the idea being that um, bread tags are going to be phased out. They're starting to be phased out in some places now um, around the world and in Australia, and the idea is to collect as many bread tags as possible, um, have the world's most comprehensive collection of them, uh, pardon me, before they become extinct, hopefully extinct, so that if you think of them not as bread tags but as as little pieces of human artefacts of a time when plastic was not valued. So um, that's the Doomsday Project. And they're the ones that I ask for people if they have any contact anywhere around the world, um, if they would like to send me some bread tags from anywhere in the world, that would be fantastic. I've got 15 countries so far, but as many more I can get would be fabulous. So that's the Doomsday thing. And that's I'm working with scientists and with entomologists and people who work in natural history to work on how I can um, display them in a pseudoscientific way. So it's like an art installation. Then there's um, um, the big installation I'm working on at the moment that's going to um, Kunambo for three months to be part of the Waste to Art finalists exhibition. And that's creating a man-made environment, um, echoing coral reefs and uh, plant structures. So working on the idea that um, we're creating our own environment now out of plastic um and that's huge it's massive it's but it's very visual and that's based on the idea that one bread tag doesn't mean much but when you amass millions it, it, it's it's well it blows people's minds when they see how many bread tags are in there so that's one big that thing another one, it's it's grows it depends on how many donations i get so it's growing all the time it's it's organic so there isn't a set size for it it will just keep growing um it's old wire lampshade bases that I get from the tip, from the op shop, from um, roadside, hard trash um, and donations that people give me. So um, and then I thread those those lampshades with, um, with bread tags and they create these phantasmagorical kind of weird organic kind of shapes um, and they are assembled into towers and they sort of like... Um, each shade is its own component. So I can assemble them and reassemble them, different shapes depending on what size area there is and what shades I get. So I, I never know which shades I'm going to pick up and what shapes they're going to be in. So it changes all the time um, and I can assemble them in a different way. So it's it's large, it's big, but it's, um, yeah, it, it changes. Many, I can, so because oh, one of the things with the project is, Um, I want it to be a circular waste thing. So I don't want these to go to landfill. So at the end of the project, I'm donating the majority of the tags, not the Doomsday Project because that's to be kept complete, but the um, majority of the tags are being donated to um, uh, a charity called Tags for Wheelchairs and they sell the tags to a guy in Robe in South Australia who has his own small factory factory um recycling plant and he turns the bread tags into bowls and plates and platters um which he uses to make that's what he makes his living from and the funds that the the tags for wheelchairs people get they use to buy wheelchairs for people who need so what happens is all these bread tags will be um reused recycled donated to charity, et cetera, et cetera, so that they have a full full life. They, don't, they won't get sent to, to landfill. So when I've been making any artworks, what I have to be very mindful of is that I'm not going to destroy the integrity of the bread tag because I want them to be able to be recycled. So I can't use lots of glue or um, ways that I'm, yeah, I'm going to destroy the integrity of that tag. So I have to be mindful of, their properties and work within the property of the bread tag so that they can be reused. So I had to look at the clippability and the the shape and the size and work with with what's there. So that's one of the reasons why the wire cages came up because they they actually hold really fast. They hold tight to things. Um, so that's one part of it. Then there's the, I've got these long, long strings, strands. They look like DNA strands and that's the clips just clipped onto wire and they become big mounds like middens, if you like. Um, and the idea of those is that it's a waste product and echoing that whole middens idea of no longer used and put to the side and then they need somewhere to be disposed of. Um, I do do some 2D works in frames and things just because of the nature of having to export bread tags to places is just really hard. Like if they're big installations. So I do do some 2d works. I repurpose frames and things, um, and make like collages with the bread tags. I've had some of those exhibited at the Adelaide Fringe Festival earlier this year, which was really cool. Um, ah. Oh. I've, I so have, what are we
0: up to? Is that four of the seven projects? So
1: maybe four things. And then yeah. online I'm making a, a reaching out to kids because there's that teacher background in me. I've been making an alphabet of bread tags. So I do simple, really simple images of um, using the bread tags and I'm up to the letter Q. I've been a bit stumped <laughs> on what to do for the letter Q. I'm thinking just question marks. Um, and that's to be that's for kids. Um, I'm writing a book, um, heavily into writing a book about the whole story of bread tags. And that in, will include um, all the amazing artworks that other people have sent me. Because that's, Sky, that's one of the most amazing things about this project is I thought people would just send me tags and that would be it. But it's become so much bigger than that. And people send me artworks and they send me bags and they send me Oh, all sorts of stuff made from and using bread tags as inspiration. And I get these most most amazing packages and parcels in the post. So I have ended up with all this this amazing stuff and I'm like, oh, the world needs to see this. This is amazing. So um, like shibori bread tags, felted bread tags, (laughs) crocheted bread tags. Like, oh, God, it's insane. Um, Christmas decoration bread tags, like all sorts of, amazing batshit crazy fantastic stuff um and um so i'd like those to be in the book as well as illustrations and i've been interviewing other creatives all around the world who have done things with bread tags um and so i've got interviews and stuff um and so i'm working i've been working on that for a while and i've got a mentor who's helping me write it so i can start pitching it to publishers so that's another aspect of it and then, of course, there's just the creating social content all the time to put to put up on Instagram and Facebook to engage people and to make people aware, because that's that's part of it. Is, it's just making people aware of little things, to look for little things in their lives, to be an adventurer. There's a book by Kerry Smith called How to Be an Explorer in Your Own World, and it's about Looking at all the little things in the world and seeing them and being mindful of them, and I, I really took heed from that and went, I want people to start noticing these little things. Um, yeah, so, so it's really, really grown.
0: So I have to share our experience since discovering you. You know, I have three young children, and we have a bowl of bread tags and every time the kids see one lying about, because you're right, they're absolutely everywhere, they pick it up and put it in the bowl. And <laughs> I'm <we'll>... so sorry. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you see them out on the driveway and in the garden, you think, how did that get there? <laughs> but it is so effective, the conversation. And I wonder, well, I have two questions for you. Do you have any concept of exactly, not exactly, but about how many bread tags have crossed your path since the beginning of of this project? And what is your kind of call to action for the everyday person? What's your hope that will come out of this heightened awareness of bread tags?
1: Okay. Well, the first one, I have no idea how many it would be millions of bread tags i mean millions i have a room full of them um i have rooms full of bread tags when I, if i was to add them up everywhere you'd have to do it by weight you wouldn't be able to there's, there's just no way you could count them um it'd be millions of bread tags what would be the um, weight they're actually really heavy they're really really heavy um, if I lift up one of those wire things that I've made, the the impact of all those bread tastes together is incredibly incredibly heavy, um, and that kind of echoes the whole idea of the project. is It's kind of like that grains of sand thing. One doesn't seem like much, but and another one, and another one, and another one, and suddenly there's like gazillions of these things. Um, <sighs> I could honestly couldn't tell there's way more than I would like to even think of, which is really terrifying. The, the idea of the project and what I'd like it to do eventually is, well, I know with grassroots um, action, tip-top bakeries in South Australia have started to introduce cardboard bread tags um, and they're going to be rolling them out um, across Australia, we hope. Um, so that's action in itself, like that, that they've had pressure to change and so they're responding to it. Um, so that's one way that the, this kind of project has impact. The other one, as you say, which I think is really interesting, is um, I read a book by Rebecca Huntley about how to talk about the environment and and not get um, just a negative Um, feedback and and to make people respond and actually want to do things and she talks a lot about how you've got to work on an emotional level you can't just throw scary numbers at people if you do that people will just shut down Um, and I've known that myself being an educator I know that if you just throw numbers at kids and grown-ups they just shut down it just becomes overwhelming you've got to you've got to get people to respond on an emotional level and visually is one way of doing that. People respond when they see things visually. So, getting that conversation started with whether it be with little kids or grown ups. Um, the bread tag, I think, because it's so common and mundane, it's not threatening, it's not overwhelming. Um, but it's a very easy way of showing hey, look, we used to have one little bit of plastic, now we've got a whole jar of them, and that's just our family. What do you think happens to these? And so you can start to have those conversations with kids. And then kids can have those conversations with grown ups. Um, one of the things that Rebecca talks about in her book is about how it's very effective to get young people to talk to older people about their concerns and about the environment. Um, it makes it more personal, it gives it personal meaning. And so I think if we can have kids start to talk about these things and um, become mindful and aware, then that's a really positive step in the right direction. Um, I think as well the bread tags because they're colorful and they're bright and they're a bit whimsical and a bit you know that kind of gets people on board too. it lets their you know makes them put away that um, that negative that negative vibe maybe and it makes it more open to, to participating. So um, I suppose ultimately I just want people to, to become mindful of the packaging that's around them and the plastic that's around them and think about alternatives and maybe, you know, start to put pressure, as I say, on businesses and um, to do things in a different way. So I do try to share um, good websites and good ideas and things as well on my Facebook page, on on the Bread Tag Project Facebook page and Instagram page and give people little ideas of how they can do things. But I don't want it to be a uh, this is how you should live your life, kind of page. There's enough of those around. Um, I guess I want to, I'm trying to keep it positive um, and keep it not entertaining. That's not the right word. That makes it sound trivial. Um, I, I see what, you know, engaging. Engaging. I want it to be engaging. I want it to be something that old people, young people, families in particular can be involved in. Um, anyone can be involved and I think even it just makes you feel good if you feel like you're doing something positive you know the amount of notes that I get with you know six bread tags in it and I get notes saying I love what you do it just inspires me and makes me feel like I'm doing something good if you can make people feel like they're doing something good they're more likely to keep doing it whereas if you put something up going oh you're so bad you buy so much stuff with packaging people are going to go oh piss off (laughs) leave me alone I'm just trying to live my life life's hard enough Mm -hmm. so um, my sister is a filmmaker and um, she used to work for the Wilderness Society and she's done a lot of environmental stuff and her husband is the CEO of GetUp. And we've often had these discussions about if you get on your soapbox too much, it actually turns people off. So sometimes the way to educate is to do it on the sly. I mean, that's what teachers do. That's what we do. We educate without kids realising that they're learning. That's half the battle. Um so I suppose in some regards, the Brete project is just a bigger version of that. But at the same time, I'm actually very, very committed to making serious artworks with it. Um, my visual arts background and my um, my foot in that world makes me want to have work that is taken seriously as well. So I'm playing a really difficult game, which I've just started realising in the last 12 months, which is You know, ultimately, I want this work to be exhibited in public space um, to get as much attention as possible. And a public space doesn't, um, you need to have a certain standing within the art community to have access to those spaces, to those places, which is highly competitive, especially with COVID, with lots of exhibitions having been shut down and things. So it's actually really difficult to find places and spaces to have your work put out there. and you have to have a reputation and you have to build your standing up. Um, you can't just sort of say here I am and get a great exhibition kind of thing. So at the same time that I'm working really hard on the um, the um, social media and the light and fluffy whimsical side of things, um, I'm actually working really, really hard behind the scenes, emailing, networking, doing courses. Um, reaching out to other creatives and art gallery owners and stuff and saying, okay, get me on this bandwagon. How do I get into these exhibitions and things? Um, so nobody really sees that, but it's mm. hours and hours and hours of work and it's, it's, it's working. It's I've now getting things happening where I've got things starting to be exhibited and making connections with other artists like um, Rox DeLuca and Freya Robbins, um, Jobbins I should say, um, and really good stuff is starting to happen, but that's taken years and years and years to get to this point. So, and it's pushing through so many personal boundaries, so many things. Like I'm terrified all the time, um, and thinking, what am I doing? You know, but I've got so many people invested in me. All these people who've donated, all these people who send me bread tags—they're invested in this program, uh, in this project. You know, and I've got to honor that. I have to honour that belief and faith that I'm going to do something with them. So every time I feel like, oh, my God, what am I doing? I just have to dig deep and go, that's why I'm doing it um, and just push forward. And on a personal level, that's been amazingly difficult but fantastic. Um, And I'm inspired by all the people who've been inspired by me, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Does
0: I imagine it would be overwhelming and also in a visual sense too, like do you feel sometimes that you're just drowning in bread tags? Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. Like I got in the shower the other day and a bread tag fell out of my bra. Like, well, obviously I had the bra off before I got in there. But like, I was like, oh, my God, they're everywhere. <laughs> they're, just, they're just invading. And I had um, a tattoo done recently when I turned 50 and bread everyone bass. said, are you going to get a bread tag? I'm like, no. No, I have enough bread tags. I don't need one on my body permanently. They're everywhere. They're in the car. They're in the corners of the kitchen. They're there's, you know, they sneak in everywhere. So um no, I I do get sometimes a bit overwhelmed by them and I do actually do that thing where I just don't look at bread tags for a couple of days and just because it's a marathon. It's not a it's not a sprint. So I, I have to pace myself and go, okay. So what if there are people who are listening to this
0: who don't know of what you're doing until this point, are you still open to receiving? Red oh yeah, from anyone? definitely. And how
1: do they do that? Okay. So, um, as I say, people either drop them off to me, um, in Cowra, there's lots of people who do drive bys, <laughs> um, drive-throughs. Um, but they just normally most of them, they just send them to me in the post. So, um, there is an Instagram feed, The Bread Tag Project, and there's a Facebook page, The Bread Tag Project, and it has it has the address on there that you can send them to. But, um, yeah, they just send them to me, to my house, and I, I get them that way. Um, there are some, um, because I've been in a couple of magazines recently with The Bread Tag Project stuff. Um, what magazines? Um, so... I was in a, a magazine called uppercase, which is a Canadian publication. Um, they had a big feature. There was a mag, there's a lovely magazine called, um, slow, which did a feature earlier this year. Um, I was in Frankie, um, not too long ago, which was a big bucket list thing. Um, and I've just done some interview questions for another magazine. Um, and I've been in, on telly a bit, little bit recently with other things. And so every time one of those things happen, I get a whole bunch more bread tags come to me. Um, and in all of those, I say um, it's ongoing. Like until, until I finish the project, I anticipate I'm hoping to finish like at the end of next year, hoping to. But then the, as far as the collecting part of it goes, but then after, even if I stop taking on donations, I'll probably still be um, writing about them. And I've actually kept, oh, this is gonna sound so insane. I've kept every single bit of packaging that has been sent to me as well. I have crates and crates and crates of packaging because I started to realize it was the project was creating its own, its own plastic. People often send me the tags in plastic bags. Um, so suddenly I had thousands of plastic bags and thousands of letters and envelopes. And I thought, okay, I need to do something with this too. I can't just let this all go to waste. So I, in the back of my mind, after this finishes, I'm going to use this bread tag part of it. I'm going to use the packaging from it to create artworks, making probably recycled paper. And then I'm thinking of an art installation using the bread tags and the packaging that has come from it itself um, because it's, create, it's created its own waste sort of thing and i need to honor that as well so that's my brain's a bit like one of those you know the spinning wheel of deaths that the computer shows you when there's too much going on that's kind of like what's going on inside my brain all the time (laughs) it's constant thinking that's hence the exhibition
0: and do you ever sleep like where, where do you fit how do you fit all these things in teaching mothering uh your own uh Exhibitions and the bread tail project, and then just forward thinking and collating and organising and everything. <laughs> okay. Well, goodness.
1: Um, I, I, I from listening to your other podcasts, I know you ask people, "Are you a morning person and do you have a routine?" I don't have a routine. I just <laughs> I don't have, say that. I knew I don't have routine. My whole life is chaos. Um, um, but that's okay. It's fine. I get a lot done. So um, I'm a complete night owl. That's my time. I love that quiet time when everyone else has gone to bed and it's just quiet and I sit up to like two or three threading bread tags or painting. Um, If it's a teaching day, I might not stay up late the night before, but I still push it. I probably wouldn't get to bed before midnight ever. Um, If I could, I would sleep in till nine or ten and then get up and start my day many years ago after I had um endometriosis for years and years and after one of my laparoscopies they kept me in because my blood pressure was really low in the mornings and eventually after a couple of days the registrar said to me do you find it incredibly difficult to get up in the mornings and I was like yeah I find it really hard and he was like well I'm not surprised because you're virtually dead your blood pressure is so low every morning and, he's, and I was like, so I'm not just lazy? And he's like, no, no, no. It's just everyone has their own circadian rhythm. Everyone has their own, you know, night owl is a classic example, you know, early morning riser or all that kind of stuff. They're not just cliches. They're cliches for a reason. And that's because everyone has their own cycle. Um, and he said, like, well, your cycle would be that you would be really slow in the morning and then get faster during the day. And I'm like, yep, that's exactly right. So I do exactly what other people do. I just probably do it a little bit later. I start off later. That's why I had to have this to to, to talk to you this morning. I think (laughs) I was up till three doing bread tags last night. So I just get really, I'll work, 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 work really hard and then I'll crash and say, okay, I need to go to bed for a couple of hours and just sleep.
0: And how, is that how you recharge through sleep? Because I find sleeping isn't enough for me to to recharge i need to try and do something else to relax is there anything any other way that you relax eating cheese
1: yeah <laughs> Drinking wine no i don't drink i don't drink so maybe that's some of it or having said that actually during the festival of 50 my daughter took me to melbourne just before lockdown we went to melbourne to collingwood for a week and i discovered cocktails oh my god how brilliant <laughs> It's a whole. How about it? Was like I thought a cocktail was like a, a strawberry daiquiri, you know, with a dodgy umbrella. Um, oh my god, my mind was blown. Um, we went to cocktail bars, and it was the whole experience. And then I went to Sydney a few weekends ago that my husband organised a surprise thing, and um, there was a couple of days where I had um, cocktails for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> it was awesome. So- <laughs> That could be a new way of relaxing. Um, do you, not good and for my diabetes,
0: but just hey. not a whole lot
1: better for uh, just a Nottingham. Better. <laughs> um, I do go out to my garden. I love my garden. So one of the podcasts that I listened to that you did was um, the Garden Curator. And I've been following her for ages because she started exhibiting at the Orange Corner Store Gallery where I, um, so, and I love my garden with a passion. So if I do need to recharge as well, I will often just sit in my garden or go and do some gardening. And I find that that, that completely makes me, you know, like, um, what are those tools? I'm not a builder, obviously. The thing that the builders have that measures how straight something um, the spirit is. level, The spirit level, that's the one. Wow, that's a bit Freudian there's out there too. The spirit level to realign my spirit level I go out into nature, into the garden, and that helps my spirit level e- equalise and balance again. So sleep, yes. Cheese, yes. Um, and the spirit level.
0: I have one more question and I have to ask it. Um, what about the financial side of things? Do you get much money for this kind of work and how does that sit with you Um there isn't much financial gain for the amount of effort and the amount of
1: change that you're bringing about? Uh, you know, that's something that only recently people have started to ask me and I haven't really thought about. I'm very lucky in it. My husband um, has a good steady job. And that's, was one of the deals with me um, agreeing to work. I said, look, Oh, I worked really hard to get my second degree of teaching. Um, and um, I enjoy it. It's um gets me out there, means I have to put a bra on and face the world. So that's always a good excuse to get out of bed and go Um, because otherwise I'd probably be one of those people who just stayed at home with them and never left because I'm very happy being in my own home space. So the teaching gets me out of the house, but it also gives me the financial security. So I know that I can rely on that money every week. And it makes me feel, I don't have to do it, but it makes me feel like I know I'm contributing to the family household purse by doing that. But I do make good money with my repair business, um, which is, as I say, like um, I've just done a, a candle label for a local um, candle place, which is beautiful. And I've done some labels for a gourmet chocolate company recently, and I get commissions for wedding invitations and things. So, that keeps money ticking in and um, is, you know, it's okay money-wise. So I consider, and the exhibition, I'll make money on my exhibition and I host workshops as well. I do also host workshops, creative workshops, and that makes me money. I've never looked at the bread tape Project as something to make me money. It's never been about money. It's, been, it's about much more than that. Um, if I was to add up how much time I've spent on the Breadtail Project, I'd Probably be a bit sick. Actually, it does make me feel a bit sick, but it fills that other need, which isn't financial. It fills that need of feeling like I'm doing something that's worthwhile, but it's also creatively exciting. Networking with all these amazing other people who I've admired from afar for years, who I would never normally have the courage or the gumption to talk to and approach. It's pushed me forward to do those things. And every time I've done that, I felt such a sense of achievement and accomplishment um, that that is worth more than money. It's it's mental health and it's growth and it's pushing boundaries and hopefully it inspires, this is going to sound so clichéd, but I really want to model to my children that you can lead a creative life and that, Life is uncomfortable and you have to be resilient and there are things you have to do sometimes that scare the shit out of you to make you move forward. And every time I think maybe I'm not achieving, I look back at what I would have done 12 months ago or two years ago and think I would never have done what I'm doing now back then. So it becomes so much more about the financial. It is is a juggle, but that's why I teach and do the other stuff because that fulfills the financial thing. Um, Teaching is purely financial. The art business is a bit of both. And the Brito project is for my soul. Um, So that's kind of how I I justify it to myself, I suppose. Yeah, Yeah, which is Um,
0: important, yeah, that you feel comfortable with it all.
1: I don't always feel comfortable. And I have to say, Sky, I'm very bad at looking after myself with self-care very bad. I put myself, like most mothers, I put myself and wives, I put myself at the bottom of the list a lot of the time. Um, and that that's a worry. I do have to try to balance that, um, a little bit more. Um, but I think it's because I live in my head so much, um, that I forget sometimes I need to step out of that head space and do something physically active because art is very easy just to sit on your butt and that's it kind of thing. Um, but it also feels like I'm pushing myself so hard in so of other directions that I don't always have the energy left to do much else, but that's going to be part of my journey of learning to, you know, juggle learning to, you know, everyone knows their own weaknesses and strengths and I know what mine are. And I know what I have to, I shouldn't say weaknesses and strengths. I won't call it weaknesses. I'll call it areas of improvement. <laughs> nice. than weaknesses. Yeah. Um, and um and so there's areas I have to work on. But you know, getting it all finally balanced is it's it's a work in progress.
0: And that's that's what it is. Well, Shaney, it has been worth the wait to stick <laughs> with you. Ah, oh, it's just so fascinating. It's completely
1: I'm so sorry about red tags till till the end of the earth. I, I just find even I forget. Thank you so much and thank you for your time and for your patience.
0: Thank you. I'm not sure about you, but I just don't know how Shaney Nottingham's project, the Bread Tag Project, is ever going to end. The things that she's doing and the aspirations that she has for it, I just can't see how they couldn't go a bit more viral once the world knows about it. Thank you so much, Shani, for taking the time to speak with me. As I mentioned, it took us so long to be able to meet up with each other and I'm so glad that we could finally make it happen. Thank you also to Lydna Socks, the series sponsor for Company this season. And thank you for always tuning in and being such a fan of the work that we do here. I'll be back next week with another story, but until then, take care.